Well, good morning. Last week, Pastor Tyler began uh, a short sermon series we're going to have here as a church on the book of Psalms. We as a church for a few weeks are going to spend some time looking at some of the Psalms in our Bible. These 150 poems and prayers that we find in Scripture are part of the hymn book of God's people. And these Psalms shape and train us to sing and to pray with others who have sung and prayed before. They're not just prayers to express ourselves, but they're actually prayers that truly help us become who we are as God's people. This morning's psalm we're going to look at is a song of lament. It's a song of pain and suffering that individually we all go through and experience. And it's also a song that can be used by God's people as we gather together to question, to doubt, to cry and ache for the pain of our lives and our need for God. So I'm going to read for us from Psalm 39. You can follow along in your Bible or your order of worship, or you could just listen as I read. Psalm 39. I said I will guard my ways, that I may not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth with a muzzle, so long as the wicked are in my presence. I was mute and silent. I held my peace to no avail, and my distress grew worse. My heart became hot within me. As I mused, the fire burned, then I spoke with my tongue. O Lord, make me to know my end, and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days a few half-breaths, and my lifetime is nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as mere breath. Surely a man goes about as a shadow. Surely for nothing, for they are in turmoil. Man heaps up wealth and does not know who will gather. And now, O Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. Deliver me from all my transgressions, and do not make me the scorn of the fool. I am mute. I do not open my mouth, for it is you who have done it. Remove your stroke from me. I am spent by the hostility of your hand. When you rebuke a man with rebukes for sin, you consume like a moth what is dear to him. Surely all mankind is a mere breath. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my cry. Hold not your peace at my tears, for I am a sojourner with you, a guest like all my fathers. Look away from me, that I may smile again, before I depart and am no more. This is God's word, and it's given to us for our good. Let me pray for us as we begin. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit. I pray that your spirit will help each of us in this room today. Whether we are excited to be here, whether we are not sure why we are here, whether we're feeling apathetic or just numb. Father, wherever we are with you, with faith, believing, not believing, questioning, doubting, Father, meet us now with your Spirit to remind us of who you are and who we are. In your holy name, amen. So when it comes to writing a sermon, there's one thing that I really don't like. There's one thing I actually dread a little bit when it comes to preparing a sermon, and that's coming up with a title. I have the hardest time thinking about what to title my sermons, and if I'm ever asked to choose a sermon series title, I hate that as well. So when Pastor Aaron said, let's do the Psalms, and since you and Pastor Tyler are starting the series off, 
you guys can name this series whatever you want, and I'll just go with it. So we called this series Psalms. Well, when it came to the title of my sermon, I decided on the title, The Struggle is Real. And I knew I had picked the right title when three different staff members called me and said, are you sure you want to name your sermon that? I kid you not, uh, Paul, who's our director of worship, was about to print the order of worship. He had already talked to me about the title, but he called me and said, are you sure you want to name your sermon, The Struggle is Real? And I was like, oh yeah. Because see, struggle is real is often used ironically in life. I can't see that movie I want to see with my movie pass. Struggle is real. My iPhone won't charge and let me listen to music in the car at the same time. Struggle is real. Often when we use the struggle is real, we dramatize some non-critical situations and make it seem worse than it is. But the truth of the matter is, sometimes the struggle is real. Sometimes we do face difficulties in life. Sometimes life is hard. And some of us pretend like it's not that big of a deal. Some of us, I know, treat struggles like they're not that critical or hard. I remember a few years ago now, I was seeing a counselor and I was going through some hard things in my life. I was struggling with my job. I was struggling with our housing situation. And I was struggling with a sickness with one of my children. And I remember telling my counselor all these things that were going on. And then I said to him, what kills me is I can't seem to let this go. What bothers me even more than the struggles, I told him, is that I can't seem to just shake it off. And I wasn't looking at the counselor at the time. I was looking down, just sharing my thoughts. And I looked up at him, and he had tears in his eyes. And I freaked out. (laughs) I was like, what's going on? And he said to me, Dan, you are going through a really hard time right now. And I was like, no, 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 no. My friends have it way worse than me. I'm okay. And he's like, no, Dan, you are struggling and I'm sorry. And in a little way, that counselor helped me or reminded me again to accept my struggles and pain. He reminded me again that it's okay to question, to hurt, and to lament at the struggle in my life. What my counselor did is what these songs of lament, like Psalm 39, can do for us. These songs of lament let us know it is okay to be honest with our pain and our suffering. These songs acknowledge the reality of the hardship of life and the suffering that we will face in this world. So I'm going to look at Psalm 39 briefly with us today and not look at it ironically, but actually truthfully that sometimes the struggle is very real. Psalm 39 deals with suffering. And it deals not just with a one-time experience of suffering, but a long, steady, uphill battle being faced by the author of this psalm, which was David. It seems like David is near near the end of life and the inevitability of death. And this overwhelming problem of suffering is heavy in his life. The fact that in the first verse it says the wicked are in his presence and he seems to allude to their mocking seems to show that part of this lament was one where David was asking, why do the wicked always seem to thrive? Why are my enemies gaining power, wealth, and success? And I'm just suffering here, God. David has a great struggle in life. He's in turmoil. 
He's trying to stay silent because he's afraid his words will run the risk of being sinful or being used by his enemies against him. But the fact that his enemies are present provoke him to want to speak. There's a lot of angst and tension as David writes these words. David seems confused and torn up. As I was studying this psalm, I learned something I found interesting. Normally in biblical poetry, we have didactic lines throughout. Two parallel lines you find throughout a poem. But in this psalm, the first didactic line is found in verse 8. The rest of the verses before then are tridactic in nature. Now what's the big deal about that? Well, Hebrew scholars say that the reason tridactic is used in poems is a formal expression of powerful psychological tension. While didactic lines encourage balance and symmetry, the additional third verse is often used to introduce an element of surprise or instability. Tension, surprise, instability is life for us at times. I was talking to someone recently here at this church who's going through some really, really hard stuff. And they said to me, you know, I'm not even that sad yet. I'm not even that angry yet. I'm just confused. Why is this happening to us? There are no easy answers to why we struggle at times. There's no quick fix to our pain. We live in a broken, hard world. And sometimes all we can do is cry and lament our confusion to God. What I love about the laments, and the laments are my favorite of all the Psalms, is that it acknowledges we cannot deny the questions or ignore the pain of our lives. But we must in turn turn to God with our questions and our pain. Listen, some of us in this room, and I will put myself in that category, need to stop trying to convince ourselves, trying to convince others, trying to convince God that we are okay. We are not okay. And you need to hear this if you've never heard this before. There is room in your faith for doubts, for questions, for pain. God is big enough for us to be honest with him, with our questions. God is big enough for us to be frustrated with the world he has created, and even with him as our creator. Now I will say, I appreciate the example of David in this prayer. He comes in faith and self-restraint, not to speak ill of God in the presence of his enemies, but he comes with a heart longing to learn and understand. I think the key is that he actually goes to God. He doesn't just sit back and complain. He doesn't just sit back and not ask God for help. He turns to God. He cries out to God. He complains to God. I know that some of you right now are having a hard time being honest with others and being honest with God with your struggles. And I know that some of you have a hard time praying because either you don't believe prayer really matters You don't think prayer helps. You don't think God listens or cares for you. Some of you maybe don't pray because you're fearful. He might give you an answer you don't want to hear. And then some of us, or many of us, we do pray. But what do we pray for? Normally it's the same things we ask for. Help with our job. Help with a relationship we're in or a relationship we want. Help with our children 
or our longing to have children. And these desires are good. And I just want to say, keep asking God for things. He longs to hear his children ask him for things. But there's another thing we should ask of God. There's a request in this psalm that I don't think I asked that much of God, and maybe you can agree with me. David, in verse 4, asks God to make me to know my end and what is the measure of my days. David, in the midst of struggling, in the midst of questioning, in the midst of hurt, wants God to reveal his end and to know the brevity of his life here on this earth. And this is a good thing to ask God for because it is good to take time occasionally to realize our plans and our hopes and our dreams and what really matters in our lives. One of the main themes of this psalm is the fleeting nature of man's existence. Mankind is a mere breath, a shadow, nothing. The key word here in this passage is the same word found in Ecclesiastes, which is translated there, vanity, exposing the fatal insufficiency of all that is earthbound. Everything that we hold on to in this earth is vanity. Everything that we care for, that we say will give us our satisfaction and desires and purpose in life is nothing. James, in our New Testament reading, which was read for us already, picks up this theme when he says, What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. When we pray to know the end and the measure of our days, we're not just trying to beat ourselves up or accusing ourselves of just being nothing and vanity and failures. No. But what we are doing is we're reminding ourselves that in the grand scheme of things, we are on this earth only a short period of time. And the more we realize that, the more it'll help us prioritize what should matter in our day-to-day lives. And I got to say, I'm very thankful that many of you live out this truth regularly here at Covenant. For example, many of you spend hours each month serving this community. You spend hours downstairs helping our children in one of the services. You help make coffee so that we can enjoy fellowship with one another between the services. Many of you greet one another and you help us by leading us in worship or involved in serving on our mercy team or elders or deacons and so on. And it is so amazing. And I appreciate it so much. What we do with our time matters. It matters deeply and it shows that you are living the truth of this psalm to prioritize your life. So many of you serve at Breakthrough, at New Moms, at Sunshine, at World Relief, and other great ministries to the city. And what you do matters greatly. One of the things as a staff we're humbled by is every time we do a Mercy Bin request, that box gets filled. It gets overflowing. Generosity is something you give to, and it is so appreciated. And it is good that you cultivate generosity in your life. And what you give to and how you serve deeply matters. I had the great privilege, probably one of my favorite times going to Breakthrough happened yesterday. My family and I went there to help with this trunk party they had. Many of you had given supplies for these graduating seniors going off to college. 
And these families were able to walk into Breakthrough and were able to pick out a bunch of stuff to leave and go to college for the first time. Giving of our time and giving of our resources for these families to show them not only we care, but offer them dignity and celebrate what they accomplished by going off to college is a good, worthwhile thing. So thank you. Listen, if we're only here a short period of time, then on the grand scheme of things, spending time with other people matters more than making money. If we're only here a short period of time, then opening up your home and opening up your lives to other people matters more than the comfort and the security that so many of us fight for. If we're only here a short period of time, allowing others to see your pain and your hurt and your questions is a good thing and is a part what we're called to do. And the more we do this, the more we see the reality of pain in our own lives and in the lives of others, the more we will believe where our true hope must lie. David says in verse 7, Oh, now, O oh Lord, what do I wait? My hope is in you. I hope we as a church can continue to cultivate this truth that our desire is to be people that say our hope is not in our job, our hope is not in our reputation, our hope is not in this church, our hope is not in how people view us, our hope is in God and God alone. And let me just say for a moment, in case you're thinking that this is just some pie in the sky, let go and let God, everything is fine kind of verse that David is giving us, it is not. This is a lament. David is not saying, oh, just smile and let go because God is good. No, he is hurting. He is crying. He is suffering. David is struggling here and he's questioning and his prayer is causing him to be hot within. The beginning of our psalm has his thoughts burning with frustration. His emotions and his thoughts right now are rubbing together like two sticks starting a fire and very soon the fire is blazing. He is not ignoring the facts here. David is not denying that life is hard and he is in pain. But as he prays, as he cries out, as he questions, he's beginning to see that these unwelcome facts in his life are God's facts. Meaning that he sees even in the pain that God is teaching him great things. David in verse 7 says, Oh now, O Lord, I am waiting. David is waiting and he wants God to answer him, to give him victory over his enemies and to give him freedom from persecution. These are good things to ask for, but what he's actually given is far greater than what he even knew he needed. It seems like God did not answer David in his request. And often that's the case in our lives, and it kills me. It kills me personally when I ask God for things and he doesn't seem to answer. And it kills me when you cry out to God over and over again for something and he seems silent and he seems distant and he seems uninterested. And we're waiting sometimes for a long time. Some of you are waiting right now for that pain to go away. Some of you are waiting for that depression to be lifted. Some of you are waiting for the situation that you're in to be removed. And it is hard to wait. It is hard to place our hope in God when we are waiting for things and it seems like everyone else gets their prayers answered but ours. Well, I like how David describes our life when it comes to waiting. In verse 12 he says, I am a sojourner with you, a guest 
like all my fathers. Sojourners and guests were terms used by the people of God, by Israel, throughout their time. Israel knew what it was like to be a guest in the land that was not their own. The people of God waited for God to do what he had promised to do many, many, many years. Ever since their father Abraham had heard from God to leave his homeland and go into the wilderness, the people of God were waiting for God to restore and make things right. They were sojourners and guests waiting on God. Brothers and sisters, you and I today are sojourners and guests until God's kingdom comes in fullness. We live today as we wait and as we journey until God will make things right, until he will take away the pain and the suffering and the oppression that is in our city and in our lives and in our world. And as we wait, we must pray to God. And in our prayer, we don't have to have the perfect words or the right things to say. Perhaps all we do is cry out to God with our tears. Verse 12 says, Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my cry. Hold not your peace and my tears. Side by side with prayer can be our tears. God hears and understands our tears, even if we don't know what to say. God hears us. The Apostle Paul picks up this idea in a letter to the church of Rome. He said, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. The Spirit speaks for us when we don't know what to say. You know, I'm a list-keeping kind of guy. Just tell me what to do, and if you write it on the list, it'll get done. My poor wife has had to learn that I might not notice the dishes or the garbage that needs to be taken out, or the clothes on the floor. But if she writes me a list of things to do, I will get them done immediately. My list mentality made me a pretty good legalist growing up. I pridefully thought I knew what was to do to keep the list to make God happy, and I thought I was keeping the list. I am thankful God continues, even to this day, to break me of my pride by his gospel and grace. But i got to tell you, I still want a list. I want a list that I can use for myself to help me with my day-to-day lives. And as a pastor, I want to just give you three or four things to do and everything will be fine. I long to have a list to say, if you do these things, you won't suffer. If you do these things, you won't hurt. If you do these things, everything will be okay. There is no such list as this. We can't ask for a list because it's not going to (laughs) help. But what is even greater than a list is the spirit that can reveal the things in our heart that we need to turn towards. The spirit to break our heart of those ways that we're trying to live for ourselves rather than God. We need the spirit more than a list to intercede with groanings too deep for words. And my hope is we as a church will ask God's spirit to reveal our hearts, to show us our sin and the ways that we do not put our hope in God like we should. And I just want to encourage you, when you don't feel like praying, and we all go through those stages of our lives, ask the Spirit to help you. When you don't feel like God is real, when you don't feel like God cares for you, when you don't feel like God listens to you, ask the Spirit for help. 
when you feel like no one understands what you're going through right now, ask the Spirit to help. And as we turn to God, let me repeat myself again. Be honest with him. I love how David ends this song. In fact, it's my favorite verse in this section of scripture. He tells God to look away from him so that he may smile again. The last thing David needs is for God to turn his face away from him. But he is so hurting. He is so raw with his emotions and pain that he just cries out, God, get away so that I may smile again. He's being honest with his pain. And God knows that when we speak to him, when we are desperate, we are going to say things we don't mean. And God is big enough for us to be vulnerable and raw with him. And I have to tell you, God will never, ever turn his face away from you. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you turn to Jesus as a weak, struggling, waiting sojourner and depend on him alone for your salvation, you need to know and you need to believe that God will never, ever turn his face away from you. No matter if you continue to fall in that same sin over and over again, God will not turn his face away from you. If you keep questioning and doubting and being confused about who God is and who you are, if you are in Christ, he will never turn his face from you. If you fail as you follow Jesus like we all do, he will never turn his face from you or forsake you. And the way we know this is to be true is because we do know that Jesus tur- God turned his face away from his son Jesus when he was on the cross taking on the sins of the world. At that moment when he took on our sins, God turned away and Jesus cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that cry is a cry none of us in this room will ever, ever have to cry because of what Jesus has done. And that is what we must place our hope in. May we be honest in our pain. May we know the measures of our days. And may we walk alongside each other in real struggles and telling one another what's going on in our lives. And if you get the privilege of letting someone else tell you their struggles, if you get the privilege of having someone tell you their doubts and their questions and their pain, please do not just try to fix them. The last thing we need to do is give someone a quick verse or a quick theological quip that says this is what it means to follow God. Just listen. Lament with them. Cry with them. Question with them. May we as a church be willing to be open and vulnerable as we lament together and know that even when we think we have it all together, we often struggle, and the struggle is real. But God's grace is even more powerful than our struggles. Let me pray for us. Father, may we believe that you are here and present in our lives no matter what we're experiencing right now. And Father, may we get a reminder of that as we take of this meal in a moment. Tangible evidence of your presence and the truth that you are real and you are good and that you long for us to come broken and needy and dependent on you. Nothing in our hands we bring, simply to the cross we cling 
May that be the song of our lives. In your name, amen.